Amen. Good morning. My name is Dave Farley. I'm one of the pastors here at GCF. If you're new this morning, thanks so much for joining us on this cold, wintry, nasty, snowy morning. Um, it, it is December, and December is, is usually a season of generosity. Uh, we don't talk about money much around here at GCF, uh, but we are a little behind year-to-date in our budget, so if you have extra money, we would love for you to consider us as you think about year-end giving. Uh, if you do give to us, we'll use that money wisely for the glory of God. Uh, with that said, let's stand now uh, to honor the reading of God's Word. Our scripture this morning is John chapter 17, verses 6 through 20. John 17, verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them just because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray once again. Father, we approach your throne of grace this morning with boldness and confidence. We approach your throne of grace this morning very, very aware of our great need to hear from you this morning. Father, we confess that nothing good will happen this morning unless you intervene. So, Father, we pray that based on your goodness, your kindness, your mercy and grace, you would send the Spirit now to help us understand and apply the truths of John 17, verses 6 to 20. Lord, do all this for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you've been a Christian long enough, you probably know at least one or two people who have walked away from the faith. I was thinking this week about a friend of mine from college. His name was Andy. Uh, Andy was very, very involved in campus ministry at the school that I went to, WSU, the Harvard of the Palouse. Uh, Andy was uh, a an evangelist, he was a scholar, he was a discipler. After he graduated from college, a couple of things happened. Uh, First, he inherited millions from his father. Second, uh, his close friend died in Afghanistan. And then a few months later, he totally walked away from the Christian faith. 
I think about a pastor who I recently heard about. I knew this particular person 15 years ago. He was known as a young, dynamic preacher. And the last I heard, he was in the process of deconstructing his faith. I heard of another pastor recently in the area uh, who resigned in the peak of his ministry maybe two years ago. Uh, and the last five months, he hasn't attended worship anywhere. He's slowly drifting away from the Christian faith. Now, when you hear stories like this or when you have friends like this, you often wonder, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to drift away from the faith? Am I going to fall away? In our culture, we call that often deconstructing. The Bible calls that apostasy. But we wonder, will that happen to me? And if the, your ability to persevere depends on you, your willpower, your grit, your determination, the answer is probably no. None of us have enough willpower or strength or spiritual stamina to persevere until the end. But fortunately, the answer does not depend on you. Our ability to persevere in godliness really has very little to do with us. Our ability to persevere in godliness is rooted primarily, if not exclusively, in John 17. For in John 17, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, prays passionately to his Father that all of the saints would persevere until the end. And because it's Jesus who's praying this prayer, we are confident that God the Father is going to hear him and answer him. So as you think about your future and your ability to persevere in godliness until the end, again, it does not depend on you. It depends on God's grace. And because Jesus has prayed for you by name, you will persevere until the end. And John 17, 6 to 20 lays this out very clearly for us. I want to divide this particular section of Scripture into two points this morning. We see uh, Christ's prayer for perseverance and then Christ's prayer for sanctification. In other words, uh, Jesus prays that you and I would persevere in godliness or in sanctification until the very end. And that's really good news, especially as you know of people who have walked away from the faith. So let's look at those two points in detail this morning. Uh, first is Christ's prayer for perseverance. Christ's prayer for perseverance. Look with me at verses 6 to 15. Uh, this part of Christ's prayer raises a few questions, starting with, who will persevere? Who will persevere? And the answer is the Father's gifts. That is, those the Father gives to Jesus. Look with me at verses 6 to 10, and listen for the words uh, gave or given or give. They appear often uh, in these verses. John 17, 6, Jesus prays to the Father, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given them is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. 
So the words give, given, gave appear six times in these verses, and that's because in eternity past, God the Father chose a certain group of people to redeem out of a mass of humanity, and God the Father gave those people to God the Son to redeem. And Jesus says in verse 9, I'm not praying for the whole world. I'm only praying for those, Father, whom you have given me, and that's because you gave them to me, and I'm going to hold on to them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to suffer and die for them because, Father, you gave these people to me. Now, quick side note. God did not choose you because he saw anything good in you. God shows you because God is a God of extravagant mercy and grace and compassion. And when God chose you, when God the Father chose you in eternity past, he gave you to his son as a gift. Now, when you consider the value of this gift, billions and billions of souls, do you think the son will lose, misplace, or neglect this incredibly valuable gift? Of course not. You think someday the son will say to the father, Father, thank you for giving me all those souls, those billions of people, but somehow along the way I misplaced them, they slipped out of my hand, Satan grabbed them from me and I couldn't do anything about it? Of course not. That's ludicrous. We're talking here about the divine son of God, Jesus Christ. And God the Father gave the Son this incredibly precious gift. Therefore, the Son will never ever lose or misplace or let go of that gift. And this reminds us of the words of Christ earlier in the Gospel of John. At John 6, 37 to 39, Jesus says this, again, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. That's including you, if you're a Christian. But raise it up on the last day. And then John 10, 27 to 28, Jesus says these fantastic words. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's incredibly good news for people like you and me who are so prone to wander. God the Father gave the Son a precious gift, therefore Jesus will not lose this gift. Now many, many, many years ago now, I met Heidi Christina Clubberud, and I thought, I've gotta change that last name. We dated for a year, and I knew she was the one, and so I saved, and I saved, and I saved. I worked three jobs one summer. I even sold my motorcycle, taking up my cross took out a small loan, and I bought a diamond ring for Heidi, an engagement ring. I planned a very elaborate proposal, and to make a long story short, I ended up on my knee in front of her at Sunnyside Park in Pullman, Washington, and she said yes. And now five kids later, almost 25 years later, here we are. Now, when I gave her that incredibly precious gift, do you think that she took it off and put it on the table of her sorority where, where 70 girls lived and walked away? Do you think that she let a friend borrow the ring for a couple of hours? 
Do you think that she accidentally misplaced the ring in the bathroom of her sorority? Of course not. Why? Because that gift was very valuable and very precious to her, so she held on to it with both hands. She loved that gift. And no matter what, she wouldn't take her eyes off that gift for a long time. Hopefully she still appreciates that gift. Yet your soul is worth far more than diamonds to Jesus Christ. Why? Because your soul is made in God's image and in eternity past, God the Father chose you and then he gave you to his own son as a precious gift. Therefore, Jesus will hold on to your soul until the very end. So who will persevere in godliness? And the answer is the Father's gifts, true Christians. Well, next question, why will they persevere? Because Christ prays for their safekeeping. Look with me at verse 11 and 12. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. They may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. In verse 11, Jesus prays to his Father, Father, keep them in your name. In the original language, he's literally praying, Father, keep all these saints that you have given me loyal to you. In other words, Jesus prays, Father, help these saints hold fast to the gospel until the end of time. And the Father will answer this prayer because he is praying to his heavenly Father. But what about Judas Iscariot, the son of destruction, mentioned in verse 12? As many of you, us know, Judas Iscariot did not persevere in the faith. He turned away from Christ at the end. And if God didn't preserve Judas, will God preserve me? Maybe you're thinking that right now. Well, if you're a genuine Christian, you will persevere. Judas apparently was not a genuine Christian, although he faked it for quite a while. This is implied in verse 12 where we read uh, that he apostatized or turned away from the faith to fulfill the Scriptures. Well, which Scriptures? This is actually promised in the Psalms, Psalm 41.9 and Psalm 109.8. But the bottom line is Judas wasn't a Christian. Therefore, he didn't persevere. One commentator says this about Judas. No, Judas is not an example of a believer who lost his salvation. He's an example of an unbeliever who pretended to have salvation but was finally exposed as a fraud. Jesus keeps all whom the Father gives him. So who will persevere? The Father's gifts. Why will they persevere? Because Jesus prays for their safekeeping. Why else will they persevere? Because Jesus prays for their protection. He prays for their, for their safekeeping, and he also prays for their protection. Look with me at John 17, 14 to 15. Jesus says this to his Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Since the world hates 
Christians. Christ prays for their protection. Well, Dave, why does the world hate Christians? It's because of the word of God, according to verse 14. What does the word of God say? It's so offensive to the world. The word of God says several things that offend the world. The word of God says that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Every other way leads to death, destruction, and carnage. Furthermore, the word of God implies very clearly that our sins were so bad that the Son of God had to be murdered in our place for us to be forgiven, implying that we deserve to be murdered on a cross. That's how holy and righteous and just God is, and that's how wicked we are. Those are not very um, appealing or very flattering things to say to the world. The word of God is very offensive to the world. Therefore, the world does not like Christians. But more importantly, we need protection from the person who is behind the world, and that is Satan. John 17, 15, Jesus says, I do not ask you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Christ wants us to remain in the world because he wants us to love, serve, care for, and evangelize the world. At the same time, while we're in the world, Jesus prays that the Father would protect us from the evil one, that is, the devil. Now, this prayer does not mean that our lives will be easy. In fact, sometimes God the Father allows Satan to sift us. Remember in the New Testament, uh, uh, Satan has to go to Christ and ask for permission to sift Peter. And in, in, in the book of Job in the Old Testament, um, Satan approaches the throne of God and says, God, can I tempt or sift or make Job's life miserable? So God the Father controls all things, including the devil. But if you're a Christian, Christ has prayed for your protection, which means that ultimately, although Satan may harm us, he can't ultimately destroy us, and that's because the Father has, or the Son has prayed to the Father on your behalf for protection from your worst enemy. When I was a junior in college, I met a tall, skinny kid from North Spokane, and when he was in high school, he took his sweetheart on a date to downtown Spokane. They walked around downtown Spokane, did some shopping, went out to eat, had a great time, and as they were walking back towards his car late in the evening along a dark street, two men showed up with knives. And they made it very clear that their intentions were not honorable. They threatened my friend and his girlfriend. In a split second, my friend lashed out with a kick, then a punch, then a kick, then a punch, and he ended up breaking one guy's arm or breaking the other guy's nose. Now, these guys did not know that my friend was a third-degree black belt. They messed with the wrong guy. He'd been training his whole life for that one shining moment. And in that moment, he protected his girlfriend with some kicks and some punches. Now, God the Father has much more than a third-degree black belt. God the Father is the maker of all things. He is all-powerful, which means he has all power. Satan is a finite created being. God the Father has the power and the desire to protect us from the evil one. And he will 
because his own son, the divine son of God, Jesus Christ, has interceded on our behalf and he has prayed to the Father, Father, please protect the ones that you have given me. And because it's the son praying for us, we know for a fact that the Father will protect us. We are no match for Satan. But Satan is no match for God the Father Almighty, which means we don't have to fear Satan. Yes, he can make our lives miserable, but because God the Father is sovereign over all things, whatever happens to you as a Christian happens so that you'll become more like Jesus. Even our most difficult trials and circumstances, according to Romans 8, 28, are being used somehow by God for our sanctification and God's glory. And that includes when Satan comes and makes our lives miserable. Well, why will Christians persevere? Because Christ has prayed for their perseverance. Are you a Christian this morning? If so, Your perseverance in the faith does not depend primarily on you. Right after Christ prays for the disciples in John 17, they all reject him. They abandon him very quickly in just a couple of hours. But eventually they come back to Christ. Why? Because Christ has prayed for them. Why did they persevere? Because they were super disciplined or super committed? No. It's because Jesus Christ prayed for them to his all-powerful Father. They persevered in godliness because of the one who prayed for them. Our perseverance does not depend primarily on our willpower, our maturity, our self-discipline. Aren't you glad? Our perseverance And godliness depends primarily on the prayers of the risen Christ. And by the way, Christ is still praying for you. According to the book of Hebrews, Christ constantly lives to intercede for the saints. He prayed for you then, and he's praying for you now. Part of that prayer right now is that you will persevere in godliness until the end. Yes, you and I must keep believing. We must keep obeying. But the focus of this text is on Christ's work, not our work. Theologically, there's the doctrine of perseverance and the doctrine of preservation. Jesus preserves us so that we can persevere. So yes, you must keep reading your Bible and praying and coming to church, but ultimately, you're not preserved for those reasons. God is sovereign, you're responsible, but this text is highlighting the sovereignty of God. We persevere because Jesus Christ has prayed for us and continues to pray for us. This text reminds us that our perseverance is rooted in our faithful high priest, which is why we love to sing the words of this song. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He will hold me fast. He will not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. When do you doubt you'll make it until the end. 
Is it when your friend walks away from the faith? Is it when your spiritual disciplines slide? Is it when you commit the same sin for the hundredth time this month? Is it when you go through a season of doubt wondering, is Christianity really true? If you belong to Christ, you will persevere until the end because Christ has prayed for you. Well, that's great, Dave. I understand that. But will I persevere in godliness? Will I keep glorifying God as he preserves me? And that brings us to the second point. So first, Christ's prayer for perseverance. Second is Christ's prayer for sanctification. And that's verses 17 to 20. This raises a few questions. First question is simply this, what is sanctification? Look with me at verse 17 of chapter 17. Jesus prays this, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. The word sanctify literally means to be set apart, and it refers to the process of the triune God making us more and more like Jesus. Now, theologians talk about definitive and progressive sanctification. Definitive sanctification is that initial act when you died with Christ, the power of sin was broken in you, you were cleansed from sin, that was a one-time event. But he's talking here about progressive sanctification, and that is the ongoing process of you becoming more and more like Jesus, and this takes your entire life, this is empowered by the Holy Spirit, but this process is the reason why you were saved. You were saved because God wants to receive glory in and through you as you live lives that are pleasing to him. As you display the attributes of God, love, mercy, grace, compassion, kindness, you are glorifying God. And as God sanctifies us, as he makes us more and more like Jesus, we increasingly reflect more and more of his glory. So that's sanctification. It's the process of becoming more like Jesus. Well, what is the means of sanctification? How does God primarily sanctify us? And the answer is, very simply, truth. Look with me again at John 17, 7. 17, 17, I mean. Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, we are sanctified, really, in so many ways. We are sanctified through the prayers of our friends, through trials. There's all kinds of means and methods that God uses to make us more like Jesus. But the primary method he uses to sanctify us is truth. That is the truth of Scripture. If you want to be sanctified, if you want to grow in godliness, it's really rather simple. Not easy, but simple. If you want to grow in godliness, you must expose yourself as much as possible to the truth of sacred Scripture, i.e. the Bible, which raises the question, how is Bible intake going for you these days? Well, Dave, I'm really, really busy. We're all really busy. <laughs> but we make time for the things that matter, don't we? Eating, sleeping, social media, working out, watching shows on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever. The issue is desire, not time. And so I often pray for myself, Father, right now I don't feel like reading the Bible. I'm being honest. But God, would you change my desire 
change my heart, change my affections, give me a passion to know you through the scriptures. Please change me, help me. God loves to answer that prayer. So let me encourage you to pray that way when you don't feel like reading the Bible. And it's really helpful to have a plan of Bible reading. Maybe it's a chapter a day or two chapters a day. Have a friend hold you accountable to that plan. If the Bible confuses you, let me recommend getting a good study Bible. We have several in the bookstore. Study Bibles are a fantastic resource to help you make sense of the hard parts of the Bible. They're great tools to help you dig deeper and answer your questions. But make no mistake, you will not be sanctified if you are avoiding or neglecting God's word. If you want to grow in godliness, you must expose yourself as much as possible to the truths of sacred scripture as you read it and as the word is preached. Therefore, it makes sense to come to church as much as possible. If God sanctifies us through the truth of scripture and scripture is preached, be here at church on Sundays. Not because of me, but because of the, of the latent power available in the truth of sacred scripture. Christianity is not primarily about obeying rules. We are not justified by Bible reading or church attendance. Christianity is not primarily an ethical system. It's not primarily a code of conduct. It's not even primarily a worldview that helps us make sense of the world around us, although it does that. Christianity is primarily, first and foremost, a relationship with the triune God. And if you never talk to God and God never talks to you through the scriptures, how can you say that you know him? Again, we are not justified or saved through Bible reading. But God saves us into a relationship through the crucifixion of Christ. And that relationship is meant to be a two-way street where we talk to God and God talks to us through the scriptures. Relationship with God is the good news of the gospel. That's the thing. Justification, forgiveness of sins, redemption, reconciliation, those are all wonderful, but the best part about being a Christian, the good news is primarily that we can know God because Christ died for us. If you're not reading your Bible, if you're not being exposed to scripture, you will not be sanctified. You will not experience the joy of relationship with God. God is merciful and gracious. Cry out to him. Ask him to help you change your desires. He loves to answer that prayer. This leads to one more question. What is sanctification? What is the means of sanctification? And then finally, what is the power of sanctification? And the answer is the gospel. Look with me at verse 18 and 19 of John 17. Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus says in verse 19, For their sake, that is the disciples and all the saints, I consecrate myself, literally, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. In other words, Jesus is saying, for the disciples' sanctification, I consecrate myself or set myself apart, which raises the question, to do what? What is Christ being consecrated for? Well, the context makes this very clear. In a couple hours, he's about to die on the cross for the disciples and all those who put their hope and confidence 
in him. So Christ is saying, I am consecrating myself or setting myself apart for the cross so that the disciples may be sanctified in the truth. What does Christ's cross and subsequent resurrection have to do with our sanctification? And the answer is everything. The cross and resurrection are the sole basis of our sanctification. How? As I already said, when Christ died on the cross, if you're a Christian, you somehow mysteriously, spiritually were there with him and you died with him, which means that your old self was crucified with him, which means the power of sin was broken in you, which means as a Christian, you are no longer enslaved to sin. That's really good news. When temptation comes, you can resist because you're no longer enslaved to sin. That's definitive sanctification. When Christ died, you died with him. Romans 6, 1 to 13. Furthermore, when Christ died on the cross, the guilt for every single one of your sins, past, present, future, thought, word, and deed, all that guilt was washed away by the blood of Christ. As a result, you were made a pure vessel to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have supernatural, divine, resurrection power to grow in godliness, to read the Bible and pray and say no to sin. Furthermore, the cross provides us with tremendous motivation or incentive to obey Christ's commands. How? The greatest motive by far is love. And on the cross, we see the extravagant, amazing, unspeakable love of the triune God. We see Christ suffering and dying for us to forgive all of our sins so we can be in relationship with him. And that display of extravagant love should cause our hearts to explode with love for him. We obey Christ's commands not because they make us more acceptable to him, but we obey his commands because we love him. Love is the strongest motive. Well, Dave, if you say to someone, friend, God forgives all your sins, past, present, and future, thought, word, and deed, aren't they gonna keep sinning because God forgives? You would think that, wouldn't you? But the opposite is true. When someone really understands how scandalous grace is and how much God the Father loves them, it radically transforms their hearts and they're now controlled by the expulsive power of a new affection. They love God as a result. They want to obey his commands. Obeying his commands brings them joy and delight because they love God. The cross motivates us by love. We are sanctified because Christ has prayed for us. Here's the really good news. Because Christ prayed for your sanctification, because Christ prayed, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. Every time you read the Bible and pray, you're being sanctified. God the Father will answer that prayer. He will. If you're a Christian, you will be sanctified. It'll happen. Maybe not as fast as you'd like, but it will happen because Christ has prayed for you. He's prayed for your sanctification. Well, several years ago, I had some genuine questions and doubts about Christianity's truthfulness. 
I remember reading through the Old Testament and thinking, wow, there's some really hard stuff in the Old Testament. Wiping out nations, all kinds of evil and carnage. I remember thinking, is this really true? Which raised all kinds of questions for me. The problem of evil, the exclusivity of Jesus, what about science and faith? I went through a season there where I really wondered, is this true? Is Christianity true? In that season, I read several really good books that helped me wrestle with those issues. And eventually, I realized that, yes, Christianity does make the most sense. Does it answer every question? No, but it answers the most questions of all the competing worldviews. It makes the most sense. And those books provided very helpful answers. Now, why did I persevere in the faith? Was it because I read a bunch of books? Was it because of my intellect? Was it because I found really good answers by really godly and scholarly authors? No. The reason that I persevered in godliness, persevered in the faith, is because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ prayed for my preservation. And right now, he's praying for me that I would persevere in godliness. The only reason you will persevere in godliness when all is said and done is because Christ has prayed for you. And if you're a Christian, Christ is praying for you right now. As a result, we can lean on him together. Let's pray.